You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. In just under four weeks' time, you are going to be reading, seeing, and hearing about an anniversary no one wants to celebrate. There will be no parties, no parades, no public holidays. December the ninth. 2019 is a date the WHO has listed as the first official case of the coronavirus that spread from Wuhan that we now know causes COVID-19. Maybe you remember an exclusive story filed in March of 2020 by one of my colleagues here at the South China Morning Post about evidence the first case can actually be traced back to a man from Hubei on November 17th. But that was more than two years ago. Wherever you are in this world right now, listening to me, I know you've got a story to tell about how this pandemic has changed your life. But I want to tell you a story about some of the people who are starting to ask questions about life under zero COVID policy, which seems to have no end. Hello, my name is Mimi Lau, and welcome back to the Inside China podcast. Over the past weeks, we have reported on a spike in cases of COVID-19 in cities across mainland China, and this is creating a situation that is best described as a paradox. It's a paradox because now Beijing is at the point where it names and shames local governments of cities for not doing enough to control new COVID outbreaks. But it also names and shames officials for imposing too many measures to control COVID outbreaks, for being too tough on people who, much like you, have had enough of this pandemic. Actually, they're not like you, unless you are one of our small select group of listeners in mainland China. You're not being forced to queue for hours. To take a daily PCR test because a few new cases were reported in your city, you're not one of those millions of Beijingers living in daily drag of what is known in Chinese as Dan Chuang, the pop-up window that appears on your phone saying, "Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, you must report immediately for a PCR test because someone, somewhere, who was in the same place as you tested positive." Nor are you being forced to sleep in a factory dormitory and eat your food in your bed, because I'm gonna make an educated guess that you don't know anyone who makes iPhones for a living either. I say this because last week the people in the world's largest iPhones factory, where most likely the iPhone you're using right now, became a global news story. Tonight, chaos at the world's biggest iPhone factory. Video showing an exodus of workers this week from Foxconn. They're fleeing the Foxconn factory there after the factory imposed a lockdown in order to curb rising cases of COVID-19. The factory is an important location for Apple, which has been producing its latest iPhone. There was video shot from outside a Foxconn factory in Zhengzhou, showing people climbing over high fences with barbed wire and just walking away.、And、there was more video showing people walking along highways, walking for up to a hundred kilometers just to get away from Zhengzhou. 
These people had had enough of working in the closed-loop system, where they were forced to work and sleep in the factory and forced to eat their meals in their beds because their area had been put into lockdown over reported COVID cases. But there's more to the story than angry factory workers walking off the job and delays for you getting a new shiny iPhone. You're going to hear from my colleague, Phoebe Zhang, across the border in mainland China, who has been following this Foxconn story, as well as a much bigger story that not only is Beijing's policy of zero COVID losing the battle, people are losing their patience, foreign investors are losing their faith. And you're going to hear from our China news editor, Josephine Ma, about Beijing's increasingly complicated management of its COVID strategy. Phoebe Zhang is a reporter based in Shenzhen and has been a guest several times on the Inside China podcast over the years. Great to have you back, Phoebe. Thanks for having me. Well, in this past week, people around the world have learned about the city of Zhengzhou, where the iPhones get built. Could you tell us what is the latest on the lockdown that lead to this massive walkout from the Foxconn factory? Yes, the lockdown in Zhengzhou ended yesterday, but the factory said there would be delay in production of the newest iPhone 14s because they don't have enough workers. Um, a lot of the workers are still in quarantine. And a lot of the workers, as you probably know, last week they walked out among fear and other complaints about the quarantine in the factory. It was a very dramatic video that made world news. Hundreds, if not thousands, of people pulling their suitcases behind them as they walked down highways away from Zhengzhou. Do we know if any of them have returned by this point? I'm in a couple of their WeChat groups. I think some people return. Some people who didn't have enough time to walk out later on, the factory told them to start working again, so they didn't have the chance to escape like some of their former peers. And a lot of the people who escaped just went home and never returned. Escape? Huh? Can you take us through the reasons why are these people escaping from their workplaces? I think there are several reasons. First of all, a lot of people are really afraid of COVID because a lot of misinformation and propaganda from the government saying that there's no cure for the disease and they could end up with long COVID with a lot of symptoms even after they're cured. So as I'm in some of their groups, a lot of people are saying they're leaving us in the factory to die, and we have to do something about it. So a lot of people just pushed open the gate or went over the walls or packed up all their other things to walk hundreds of miles home. That's one sentiment. I think another is more realistic because the quarantine is organized poorly inside the factories. A lot of people aren't provided with enough food. Or enough rest, and、uh, because they don't have enough dormitories, people who have COVID and don't have COVID have to live together. So it's not an ideal situation. And people who are put on mandatory quarantine inside the factories, that means they don't have work for that day, so they don't get paid for that day. So a lot of people went just because they want to ensure their livelihood. It's interesting that part of why they took such radical action was the fear of catching COVID, because here in Hong Kong in November 2022, and for many people listening to us around the world, the idea of catching COVID now isn't as serious as it was two years ago. 
In fact, I was speaking to a Hong Kong virologist about these workers, the lack of transparency, and what they should know about COVID. This is what he had to say. These people are not old ladies from villages or uncles from the city. They are educated. They are cultured. They must be educated in order to work in the technical roles at Foxconn and make money. But they are so foolish because they suspect that there are COVID cases among them. And they have escaped at the expense of not getting paid. So let's get back to you, Phoebe. You wrote about China's COVID narrative and how this virus is portrayed to the public for the past three years. What did you find out? I think the reason that people were so afraid of COVID is because the authorities have been sending a lot of mixed signals. For example, People's Daily, which is China's party mouthpiece, keeps talking about there is long COVID. There's a lot of symptoms even after you're cured. And every day or so, it sends out articles talking about the elderly dying, especially in the U.S., of hundreds of thousands of elderly dying. And they boast zero COVID as a measure to protect the elderly and children in China. And it's a very successful one. So that sends a mixed signal to the public. Also, after the escape in Zhengzhou, the local authority WeChat actually sent an article saying that the COVID is self-healing and there's nothing to be afraid of. I think that's their way to put on some amends to their previous propaganda, but I think that's also very confusing to the people because you're not sticking to one narrative. No wonder people are confused with one hand authorities are saying COVID is self-healing, on the other hand is publicizing how many Americans are dying every day. So I would just like to turn our attention away from central China and Zhengzhou from the Foxconn workers' exodus to what's going on down south in Guangzhou. You've been reporting on the new pandemic restrictions in Guangzhou, including more than 30,000 people being moved into quarantine. What are you hearing out of Guangzhou right now? I was talking to some residents there and they described a ghost city. There's a lot fewer people on the streets now and many of the shops are closed and people are told to work from home and a lot of the children are told to take online learning and stay home as much as possible. But I think in Guangzhou, in terms of the lockdown, it's not enforced as strictly as you would see in some other cities in Shanghai or in Shenzhen, particularly because the older districts have more dense population and the buildings are more difficult to manage because there's more congregated together and there's not a physical wall around them. So you can't have a lot of people watching where the residents are going, whether they're in contact with each other. So how are the daily life for people in Guangzhou being affected in the sense that how people are navigating through these restrictions? I think it's just a lot more hassle. You have to take up daily testing. There's a lot of staying at home. If you're visiting anywhere, you have to show codes or show a negative testing result. And there's fewer cars or public transport on the streets. So um, you might have to bike everywhere or walk everywhere. But I feel like that's also a picture in a lot of other normalized cities, even without the quarantine. For example, in Shenzhen, we've been testing daily for a couple of months now. You mentioned Shanghai. People listening will remember back in April and May and our reporting on Shanghai and how a five-day lockdown turned into two months of extreme restrictions. 
Do you think there is any fear that Guangzhou would get a similar Shanghai-style lockdown? I think right now there's not that much fear of a city-wide lockdown because over 90% of the new cases in Guangzhou are concentrated in Haizhou district. That's the one I was talking about with lots of migrant workers and densely populated buildings. So they've locked down that district until Friday, and they have、uh, citywide testing in other districts. So, what kind of sentiment are you picking up from the locals on social media? The locals are telling me that those who do not live in Haizhou district are not really afraid of an outbreak because it seems that most of the new cases are still concentrated there. A lot of people they're just coping with the daily control measures, trying to. Get on with their daily lives. You have also reported on the growing、uh, public discontent over China's zero COVID policy. Your article referenced a popular nationalist blogger Zhou Xiaoping, who had begun to publicly criticize zero COVID. To draw a comparison that might be familiar to for our American audience, would that be like if Tucker Carlson from Fox News were to publicly criticize Donald Trump? I have not listened enough of his shows, but I think there's a little difference. I know that he's a conservative political commentator, and that seems to be about the same thing that Zhou Xiaoping is. But I think that person mostly speaks to angry white men, and they tend to have those like, really older conservative views. But Zhou Xiaoping and a lot of the other popular nationalist bloggers in China, they mostly address younger people. Uh, people in college, people in their twenties. So I think they often sugarcoat their views in a way that sounds reasonable and very posh. And they usually stimulate nationalism, expressing a viewpoint that's sort of like, if you don't support this, then you must be anti-China. So how was Zhou Xiaoping was criticizing China's zero COVID policy? He was specifically talking about a policy in Beijing. It's called the pop-up window. It's a window that's attached to the Beijing Health Code, and it basically tells you whether you from outside can go into Beijing or not. It assesses your COVID risk, so to speak. So if you have a pop-up window that means you can't go into Beijing, then you have to get a lot more testing or quarantine or other measures according to their policies before you can enter the city. That's Beijing's way of keeping anyone they deem as risky out of the capital. So Zhou Xiaoping was trying to go into Beijing for days for a hospital visit, but he couldn't because he kept having the pop-up window. So he was complaining online, saying the policy has kept many people from returning to their work, returning to their home, and it's ridiculously strict. It's one thing about being a nationalist supporting national policy, but when it gets personal, it really hurts. So, Phoebe, in terms of Shenzhen and Guangzhou, it's really a case of wait and see, huh? I think so. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Thank you for being with us, Phoebe. No problem. Two years ago, my colleague and China News editor Josephine Ma was on this podcast, speaking on an episode titled "China's COVID Vaccines: Mass Inoculations Begin." She's been our constant source of expert reporting on vaccine development inside China, as well as publishing analysis of the social and economic cost of the zero COVID policy. 
Josephine Ma, welcome back. Let me start with something you reported on a week ago about the Pfizer vaccine, otherwise known on this side of the world as BioNTech. It's now available in mainland China, but conditions apply. What's the story there? Thank you, Mimi. The announcement was made by German Chancellor uh, Olaf Scholz um, during his visit, his visit to China last week. He was uh, attending a press conference with um, the Chinese Premier Li Keqiang, and he told the media that the BioNTech vaccine would be made available for foreigners living in China. And um, he said at the time that it would be the first step, and he was hopeful that the scope of the people who could um, use the vaccine could be widened in the future. So that kind of like raised expectation that um, China may approve BioNTech for a larger group of people in China. But so far, we haven't seen any new development yet. So during um, a meeting with um, the the analyst two days ago, a senior executive from BioNTech said they have no idea like when the vaccine could be approved in China. Uh, he just said there were some positive signs of re-engagement. That means like um, discussions going on. So we really don't know, even though the foreigners living in China can receive the vaccine, but whether China will take this major step to approve the vaccine for the general public, this is still hard to know. It's still quite uncertain. We, we, we're not sure whether China will take that step. Is there any reason why this vaccine is only given to foreigners? So for all the countries, I mean, regulatory approval is required um, for a vaccine to be used for its people. So far, there's no regulatory approval. Um, so that means um, the, the vaccine cannot be used on Chinese um, population. Um, the review process has begun quite some time ago, but um, there has been no progress. And so far, China has not approved any foreign vaccine. The officials have never explained why they haven't done that. But if we look at the overall attitude or the overall policy for China, China is quite eager to reduce reliance on imports for any kind of strategically important products. So it's understandable China doesn't want to rely on important vaccines. I mean, given COVID vaccine is so important. That's why China is putting a lot of resources in developing um, its own vaccine, including mRNA vaccines. But so far, of course, the most popular ones um, remain the inactivated vaccines. Do we know how far off China is from developing its own mRNA vaccine? China has a couple of candidates. The front runner is um, developed by a company called Wildwax. Last year, uh, an official said that he was hopeful that um, the product could hit the market by year end, but that didn't happen. And countries like Mexico and Indonesia has approved the trial of that candidate in the country, but so far we haven't seen any phase three data. But recently, Indonesia has approved the use of this uh, mRNA vaccine by Wellwax for emergency use. 
but we don't know how popular it is in Indonesia right now. Here in Hong Kong, the BioNTech vaccine was first distributed in January 2021, and that's 21 months ago. And it was distributed by Fushun, a company based in Shanghai. Do we know why it has taken so long to be given permission on the mainland? There has been no official explanation about it, so um, we don't know why. The review process is going on, and as I mentioned earlier, that um, after shorts of visits to China, there have been uh, resumption of discussions. But uh, of course, uh, China will want to rely on its own production for uh, an important product like this. In my introduction, I mentioned the paradox of Beijing, that of wanting to stop these new variants of COVID, but also of the need to reopen the economy. From what we have observed and reported from the 20th Party Congress last month, did you see any signals of what the future is for Beijing's zero COVID strategy? So for an occasion like the party congress, specific policies wouldn't be mentioned because it's about um, the general direction of the party in the long run. But we can glean some clues from the report. So she gave two brief um, references of COVID in his party congress report, and he hailed the Chinese policy as a major achievement and uh, which earned China's um, international acclaim. I mean, the way they portray it as a achievement, uh, it, it would be hard for officials to take the risk to relax the policy and then see a surge, a major surge of cases or even death, then um, people may doubt if the, the sacrifices they have made in the past three years were a waste. So that could be a reason. Of course, uh, in a recent press conference, um, officials also cite potential winter surge um, in other countries and also the um, surge of cases in China right now as a reason for them to tightening up the measures. But um, it seems that it's becoming more and more difficult because of the new Subvariants are becoming more transmissible, so it would be very, very difficult for China to maintain this um this zero COVID policy. Josephine, can I quote directly from your analysis piece on SEMP.com? You wrote that some mainlanders and overseas experts are also asking whether the measures are meant to control people rather than stop the spread of the virus. Is there a sense that this sort of opinion is increasing? If you look at the social media, uh, like, for example, Weibo, this kind of quotes can be found from time to time, like whether the measures target the virus or, or they they are meant to target the people. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, especially like during recent weeks when we see on the social media, like people very frustrated when, for example, a three-year-old boy died after not receiving treatment. So this kind of um, social media posts always stir a public outcry. There were posts like by people like asking like, uh, when would this zero COVID and and uh, whether um, they want to control the virus or whether they want to control the people. So this kind of sentiment is yeah is growing in China, especially in recent days. That's all for this week's Inside China. Don't forget this is a developing story, meaning by the time you hear my voice, the situation may well have changed in Guangzhou. And if you've been listening to our podcast since January 2020, you know 
what I'm about to say next. Keep up to date with the latest news at our website on scmp.com and get the latest on Twitter at SCMP News. You can also find me on Twitter at GZMimi. I'm Mimi Lau. Bye for now.